what it is, RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on RadioJustice.org and the real day-to-day happenings of urban living locally and worldwide. Today on Conversation Piece, meet the 27th assessor for the County of Los Angeles, Jeff Prang, who is running for re-election. The Los Angeles County Assessor's Office is the largest local public assessment agency in the nation and is responsible for establishing the value for over 2.4 million taxable parcels and nearly 300,000 business assessments with a value close to $1.8 trillion. Find out today what Assessor Jeff Prang does for us and our county, new hiring and education opportunities in the department, and who he is. Here's the disclaimer, RJLA family. Radio Justice does not support nor endorse any political party or candidates, but it is important to know who is in the positions of power here in Los Angeles. Remember to learn your ballot, ask questions, vote, and hold them accountable and responsible. Whether you voted for them or not, whether you are a citizen or not, Before we get to Assessor Jeff Prang, here's a More Than a Sparrow Productions news clip with Medea Brown, Associate Programmer in Theater and Film Information for the Pan-African Film and Arts Festival, which is the biggest Black film and arts festival in the United States. Welcome to Conversation Piece. My name is Angela Birdsong, and I am with one of the most recognizable faces, or or one of the most recognizable faces here at the Pan-African Film Festival. If you ever come to the desk as a volunteer, as press, as a consumer of these wonderful films, you have come across Miss Medea. Miss Medea, how long have you been working with the Pan-African Film Festival? The festival for 27. How did you first get involved? I actually got involved. I used to work for a magazine called The Beat Magazine. It was a music, it was a reggae world music magazine. And um, the editor and I loved African music, so we decided to come. We heard about the Pan-African Film Festival, so we decided to shut the house down for uh, for a couple of days and go see the African films at the Pan-African Film Festival. After that, I happened to meet Ayuko Babu, and he asked me to come on and see if I could help them raise money for the festival so that we can continue on for the rest of the years to, to, to show the films. So how many different hats have you worn in the 27 years? I've been in corporate relations. since I started out as a corporate relation person, and then I started programming. Um, I now, I've been programming for about 25 years, which means that I watch the films before, the, when they're submitted to the film festival. So I watch, um, this year I watched about over a thousand films for the, um, and I basically program the short films this year. But I have done features in the past as well. 
and I try to watch as many as possible because since I'm here at the information desk, people want to know what the films are about, so they really need a person sitting here that knows the films. Wow. Now, out of all the things that you've done, which one do you enjoy the most? I enjoy programming. I enjoy programming. I, I love film, and I love, uh, and I've watched through the years how African film has improved and um, and and developed into. Um, I, it, they are. This is the first year that YouTube, Google, um, all the for, all the uh, platforms want African films now, and so they all approached us about screening African films on their channels, on their platforms, and that has never really happened um, in the past. So African film is becoming more popular, and they are getting better, and more and more African countries are making African film in Africa. Why do you think they weren't making films before? Uh, they didn't have the they didn't have the the means. They didn't have um, they didn't have the uh, they had no camera works. They had no training. They had no theaters. They had no studios. Um, Nigeria does because it it, it has a, a large population and a and a very wealthy population. So Nollywood was the first, and then South Africa started making great films as well because they have the means. They have the resources. Other countries in Africa are poor and they don't. How does a film get to you to be to become selected? Well, we sent out a, a press release in June, in May or June, um, uh, and we um, asked filmmakers to submit all over the world their films for the Pan African Film Festival. Okay. Um, and then when they come in, we uh, we we come in on platforms. We do Film Freeway, and then we the Pan African Film Festival has its own platform, and that's where they're submitted. Um, our criteria is basically good story, um, a story that promotes um, consciousness, African consciousness, positivity. You learn about the culture, the people. Um, sometimes the acting, or some there might be parts of the films that are not perfect, but because of their content, because of their, their ed, they'll teach African people all over the world about other African people all over the world, wherever they may be, that's what we're looking for. We like to say it's a passport. You don't have to leave home to learn about other people. The films come to you, and that's how you learn about African people all over the world. Have there been any films that didn't make the cut but made the cut the next year? Um, no, uh, yeah, maybe once or twice. Yeah, a, a, a film will come in and the filmmaker will take it back and edit it, edit it differently. And if the edit is better and, and maybe it needed to be shorter because a lot of uh, films come in, they're way too long and it's hard to program a film that's way too long. But see, sometimes <laughs> the filmmakers get paranoid. They may never be able to make another film again because of expenses, because of, you know, uh, restrictions and so they'll leave they'll leave the film three hours long it's hard to program a three-hour film so they will ask them to go and edit it and if they could do a better edit cut it down take a lot of the um, things that redundant out of it then we can screen it 
What are some of the most memorable films for you that's been here in the 27 years? <laughs> um, gosh, Sankofa, uh, when everybody, uh, we, sh we were the one of the first uh, film festivals to screen the Sankofa, and, and it just blew everybody's mind. Um, I can't remember all the films, but I know that they're, they're from the Congo. I love uh, very rare films from the Congo that I've loved. Um, Oh gosh, um, Hyenas, which is a Senegalese film that is just fabulous, um, from um, Mabiti Jop. He uh, a great, great filmmaker. All of Usman Sembin's films, Ghoul War. Um, I love. I, I I basically love the the cultural uh, films from Africa. Those are my favorite, and and from the diaspora as well. I've England England submitted a lot of really good. Um, um, films this year from um, African, Pan-African filmmakers in England submitted a lot of good films this year, and I've, I really enjoyed them, yes. Now, is um, PATH only here in Los Angeles, or do you guys still um, appear in Atlanta? We do not do Atlanta anymore because we were part of the National Black Arts Festival there, but they, they lost funding, so they couldn't afford to bring us, so we would love to go back. Um, we feel we have a home in Atlanta, and um, we have a lot of friends that love the film festival there, and if there is a way and a means for us to bring it back, we will definitely do that. All right. So any last words that you want to say to anyone who has never been to the Pan-African Film Festival? We look forward every year to putting, uh, to bringing the Los Angeles area, the films, the people, the excitement, the art. Uh, I failed to mention the art. We have over 100 artists in the mall from all over the world, sculpture, painting. The, the, the whole affair is to celebrate... Um, African people all over the world and um, it is our pleasure and um, we are truly thankful that the Los Angeles area has supported us all this year and we really appreciate the people coming out and supporting our efforts because uh, it's, 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 um, it's not an easy task but it's one of the most fulfilling and uh, we're in great gratitude that we can do it. Thank you so much for your time. I know you are busy here at the informational desk. I, when I come here and I see you, I'm like, I want to meet her. I want to. So, you, so you know, I got to interview you, you and ask you about the reggae and the heat because I know you got a story. And my last question is, where are you from? I'm originally from New York. I was born and raised in New York. My family moved to, uh, to California when I was around 12. My mother was a Greek immigrant to this country, and my father was African-American. And they happened. I mean, he was in the Merchant Marines, and they happened to meet on a ship when my mother was coming to the United States. And that's, that's an interesting story as well. <laughs> Sounds like a film. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And this is Angela Birdsong from the Pan-African Film Festival coming straight from Los Angeles. Next, L.A. County Assessor Jeff Prang on Conversation Piece. L.A. County Assessor Jeff Prang, welcome to Conversation Piece. Thank you, Angela. It's great to be with you. It is so good to have you here. One of those offices within Los Angeles County that we're sort of aware of, but not really sure what happens there. 
tell us about the assessor's office? Well, the first thing I always like to tell people, I, I, I like to tell people about my office and what I do. I also like to emphasize what I do not do. And I'll tell you, I think that probably 99% of the people believe that I do something that I actually don't. I do not collect taxes. Um, they call me the tax assessor. There is no such thing as a tax assessor. And we have, uh, I am just the assessor. There's another guy who collects taxes. He has a very intuitive title. He's called the tax collector. It's uh, really, really very simple. The, uh, the job of the assessor is to uh, uh, determine the value of taxable property. So my job is to assess the value of all land, buildings, and business property in the county uh, on an annual basis to, uh, to publish the annual assessment role. The assessment role is essentially the inventory of all taxable property in the county. And that becomes the basis from which property taxes are, uh, are, are determined. Um, how about if I give you like a little rundown on how the way the system works. So, Please, there's a, so the property tax administration is pretty complicated and there are a number of different departments that each have a different role. So the way the system begins, you buy a house and you record a deed with the registrar recorder or you do new construction, such as adding a second uh, story on your house or uh, building a uh, enclosed porch, and you pull a permit with the city. What happens next is that the registrar sends us copies of those deeds, uh, the cities send us copies of those permits, and then I assign a real estate appraiser to determine the value of that property. And we enroll that on the assessment roll. And, um, if you're entitled to an exemption or exclusion, which saves you money on your taxes, we're required to apply those. And then we, uh, on an annual basis between uh, July 1st and June 30th, we create the assessment role. That is just the raw data of how much property is worth in the county. And last year, it was uh, all taxable property in the county was assessed at about $1.8 trillion. That data is then turned over to another department that most people have never heard of called the Auditor Controller, the Los Angeles County Auditor Controller. And they're the ones that apply the tax rates, the, the vote, voter indebtedness and the direct assessments. The data is then turned over to another office called the Treasurer and Tax Collector. And they're the ones who send you your bills and collect the payments. And then um, if for whatever reason you think your tax bill is wrong and you wanna dispute it, you would take that to the assessment appeals board. So as you can see, it's kind of complicated. I'm the only one um, of those officials who's elected. The rest of them are all appointed by uh, members of the, uh, the board of supervisors. So I'm not the guy who tells you how much you owe. I'm not the guy who collects the taxes. I'm the guy who tells you what your property is, uh, is worth. Although I think it is fair to say, and I tell this to my employees and frankly, anybody else who will listen, but in many ways, my department is the most important local government agency because no other department can do their job until I've done mine. And if I don't do my job thoroughly, if I don't do it accurately, um, if for some reason we don't get all the property on the assessment roll annually, that's gonna have an impact on, on local budgets. And property taxes pays for not only county government, but all cities rely heavily on property taxes as do public schools, which get about 40 cents on the dollar. How many parcels of property are we looking at in Los Angeles County? Because Los Angeles County is huge. 
So LA County is the largest uh, assessment jurisdiction in the United States. There's about two and a half million uh, real property parcels and business assessments, um, which as I mentioned, our last year were valued about $1.8 trillion, which generated close to $18 billion in property taxes. Once it goes to the, the auditor controller, and then it's dispersed to the different cities. How how are how is how are the monies? So, just a rough idea. The um, uh, schools get about forty cents on the dollar. Um, county government gets about uh, uh, twenty five cents. Um, different different cities get different amounts depending on the city that you live in. The city of LA may get about twenty twenty five cents. Um, the the successor agencies to the redevelopment agencies get a piece of it. Special districts such as water districts also get a piece of it, but property taxes is all um, uh, dedicated to local government. It doesn't go to the state. So when so as as a, as property owners, when we look at our our tax bill, the tax bill doesn't come from you. It does not. The tax bill comes from the tax collector. It's, okay. Uh, um, this is one of the things that's it's kind of interesting. I, I, don't, I don't know how this occurred, but most people refer to my office. It doesn't matter if it's in California or some other state. They call it the tax assessor. But to the best of my knowledge, there's only one state where the title tax assessor, assessor exists, and that's in Texas. So it's really a mystery how an entire nation believes that this office is called the tax assessor, when it is not now and never has been. So it's, uh, but it's something everybody learned. Um, but I always tell people, I don't do taxes. We do proper valuation. So I um, am guilty of that. <laughs> so ta ta taxes are derived from our values, but I am not involved. I am not a revenue department. Um, I'm only a revenue department in terms of making certain that everything that needs to be on the assessment roll is on there. But our obli my obligation is to make certain that, the pro that a, a value of property is fair and accurate. We never look at a property based on its revenue. If your property lost value, I am supposed to be as, and I am, as uh, attentive to lowering that value as I am to raising it. Um, because you, you don't want the guy trying to come up with a fair value being in charge of the revenue because they could end up giving um, an un unfair and unapproved tax increase. So my, my job and the job of, our, of the appraisers in our office is almost 700 of them uh, is to be fair and accurate uh, and be uh, dispassionate when it comes to whether the value goes up or down. I know that I've been to one of, I guess you guys sites, I don't know what you call the different offices, but the Culver City right. office before. And I can't remember what I went there for, but I was taken care of. And maybe I guess I, I don't know what when when we go to those offices what what do, what should we be looking for as as property owners business owners when we go to those those different satellite offices. So we have a uh, four district offices in the north south and east and west of the county. We also have a regional office up in Lancaster, and then our our main headquarters is in the county hall of administration, uh, downtown L.A. So you might go. Uh, uh, you, you might go to the district office uh, where your property file is uh, is maintained uh, regionally. You may have a question. Uh, you know, what, it, 
could be that the property records are, are incorrect and you wanna correct those. It may be that you just uh, uh, purchased a home and your, uh, uh, your appraiser has uh, come up with an estimate of value that you think they don't have all the information that they need to make uh, inaccurate assessments. You may wanna to talk to your appraiser. Could be that you file want to file for the homeowner's exemption, help to save a little bit of money on your annual property taxes. Uh, there's a, all types of, any service that you need from the assessor's office, you would probably want to get from the district office closest to your home. Okay, yeah, because I, I I went there. It, was, it wasn't crowded, <laughs> it wasn't a long wait, and I got it done e immediately. Right, that's, uh, well, I'm glad to hear that we, uh, we are a public service agency. We take that very seriously. Our motto is valuing people and property. Well, that doesn't mean we're coming up with a value of, of, of people. Obviously, it means we value the people that we uh, that we serve. That is the reason why we are here. Now, in, in my in my research for for this interview, what what I what I found out that I didn't know about was the business owners' equipment that is counted as property. Ex explain what, what that means, because if you have a restaurant or a hair salon, um, some kind of real estate office, except, you know, is, are all businesses affected by your office? Yes, under Proposition 13, which is the law that governs uh, property assessment in California, all real property, and real property means land and buildings, um, is required to uh, be assessed for tax purposes as is what is known as business personal property. Business property, personal property includes furniture, equipment, machinery, um, although it also includes aircraft, both commercial aircraft and general aviation aircraft. Um, it includes uh, um, some boats and uh, mobile homes, and believe it or not, even racehorses. We Race assess horse. those horses at Santa Anita that are housed in LA County, they, you've got to pay uh, business. You got to pay business personal taxes on those uh, those horses. We don't go out and appraise horses, though. It's pretty a, a pretty pro forma um, annual declaration, but that's what the law requires. Uh, I will say that business personal property is a uh, very is a small percentage of the total assessment roll. It's not it uh, while it does take a lot of our time uh, and and personnel to process that. In terms of the value of the assessment role, it's just a small per percentage, but it is what uh, the California Constitution requires. So, as a business owner during during the pandemic, what were, were there any type of um, forgiveness of business personal property? How, how did you guys handle a lot of the businesses being shut down? So, there's a lot of businesses, and if you think of like a gym or a restaurant or a retail store um, that may have paid business personal property taxes on their equipment and furnishings, but those stores were closed, that, that equipment was not being used. Um, the way that we uh, value personal property, um, we could conclude that that lost value during that time, um, which we did. And in fact, we lowered the assessed value um, on the business property for 40,000 plus small businesses countywide um, with a, a, more than $210 million in roll value being, being reduced. And we did that proactively. We didn't wait for applications to be submitted. We did uh, uh, 
did a countywide review to determine which businesses we thought qualified. And of course, if you're a small business that you think you qualified and did not get a reduction, you can apply. Uh, very simply, it's an application on our website called Decline in Value. And tell us why you think your property lost value and we'll do a, do a review. And if it uh, checks out, we will lower the assessment temporarily on that property. Now, does just the, this question just pop, popped in my head? Because in Los Angeles, we have a lot of street vendors. Do street vendors personal, um, business personal property are, is affected with this also? Typically not. In order to pay for uh, the, 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 the floor for um, participate, be required to uh, uh, pay business property taxes usually requires that you have $5,000 or more in business equipment. And um, a lot of street vendors, their equipment will not be worth that, uh, that much money. And some street vendors operate out of vehicles and we don't, uh, we don't assess vehicles. Obviously, that's done through the uh, Department of Motor Vehicles at the state. Oh, so food trucks. Food trucks, no. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, if food trucks prepare food off-site and have equipment, uh, off-site kitchen, that may be the case, but uh, but the, the vehicles themselves, we don't assess. Okay, okay. So let's say, for instance, you got the um, a large restaurant chain that also has food trucks. So the food truck, that's a separate entity Yes, from, a, from their brick and mortar. So um, interesting bit of history, vehicles used to be considered personal property. And actually under the old laws, the assessors would actually uh, assess certain types of personal property in your home, such as like a piano. Um, uh, the, uh, the, what we call the vehicle license fee um, it's not really a vehicle license fee. It is a vehicle property tax. Uh, and it used to be that they were um, assessed and taxed at the local level. But at one point, uh, decades ago, the state of California thought that it made more sense to uh, regulate that uh, uh, vehicle taxes at the state level instead of the local level. Um, so you know, now and again, what you'll, you'll hear people say that the amount of money you pay in tax on your car is too much for a license, but it's not really just a license fee. It's also a property tax. Okay. Okay. So you guys are the largest local public assessment office in the nation. Right. Larger right. than New York? Larger than New York. So, um, and uh, I don't quite, so New York City, you know, uh, I believe that they, uh, New York City is broken down by uh, bureaus. So there's five bureaus and I think, and the, their, uh, their assessor is not uh, an elective office. It's a municipal position, uh, but even so LA, LA County is much larger than the city of New York and has more people. So it stands to reason we'll have, uh, have more property, but the assessor's office is, uh, uh, we've got about 1300 employees, um, about, Roughly half of them are are real and personal property appraisers. Um, I've already, I think I've already given you the the role statistics that one point eight bill, billion dollars. Now you had um, um, reference earlier about home exemption, and how does that process work? And I was looking looking at 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 the website at the at the website and for. For everybody who does not know 
that website. It is assessor.lacounty.gov. But when I was on, on that website doing a little bit of research, I saw that there's a homeowner's exemption month. What is that about? So one of the things that my office is responsible for is managing a number of voter authorized programs that help you save money on your property taxes. There's programs for seniors, veterans, the disabled, for nonprofit organizations, um, as well as for homeowners. So everybody in California who owns their home and occupies that home as of January 1st qualifies for the homeowner's exemption. And what the homeowner's exemption does is it allows me or another assessor in another county to reduce your assessed value by $7,000 for tax purposes. It will save you $70 a year on your property taxes. It doesn't seem like a whole lot and, uh, and it isn't. The homeowner's exemption was, uh, rate was established, I think in 1971 or 72, when home values were probably like $20,000 or something like that. So the legislature has never increased that. Probably argue that they probably should. Um, but it is a tax savings program, which is available to anybody who owns their, um, their property. Uh, it'll save you $70 a year. And if you're on a fixed income or unemployed, I, I'm certain that anything would be helpful. We estimate that about a third of all homeowners in LA County do not get the homeowner's exemption because they simply, they don't know that they can apply for it. In some places, I think, uh, um, like the city of Palmdale, almost half of the homeowners who we think qualify for the homeowner's exemption have not applied. Um, it's a really uh, easy application. It's one page. Um, you only have to file once or, uh, or for each new owner would have to file at the time of a, of a purchase. And then it just rolls over year after year. So it may not add up much one year, but it does uh, over time. So we do try to encourage, uh, especially right now during COVID when a lot of people have uh, struggled financially to uh, uh, file for this tax savings program. We, we estimate that about $30 million a year go unclaimed in savings. My goodness. So seven, seven thousand is, is it 7,000 exemption? For oh. anybody who applies for that, what what are the what's what's yes. the criteria? It's, it's, a, it's a so the criteria is, is simple. It has you have to own the home and you have to live there as of January first um, of each year. So um, it doesn't reduce your taxes by seven thousand dollars. I wish it did. It lowers your assessed value. So let's say that for sake of argument, your home is worth a uh, million dollars and you have to pay ten thousand dollars a year in. Um, property taxes, the, um, the uh, homeowner's exemption would knock um, $7,000 off that million and your taxes would be based on that, uh, uh, that adjusted amount. Okay. Which is, seven, which is $70. So it's not, it's, obviously it's not a lot I have advocated in Sacramento for uh, increasing that homeowner's exemption, but uh, that's a decision that's made by the legislature. And I think it's probably something that needs to be, to be looked at. Yeah, it sounds like it does, especially as um, property values are increasing in Los Angeles County. I, I can't remember the statistic, but uh, what, at the time that they um, implemented the homeowner's exemption, um, which is valued at $7,000, the average home price, I believe, was less than $30,000. So it actually did have a meaningful impact 
on uh, for for homeowners on their property taxes, but it's never been increased. It's not indexed to any type of cost of living adjustment. It's just that static seven thousand dollars since you know for for fifty years. Yeah, sounds like it's time for a change for that. I, I would right. uh, I'd, I'd go along with that. Right. Yes. Yes. But still, thirty million still unclaimed. Still unclaimed in. The primary reason is people simply don't know that it's available to them. So we, so we, we uh, every month, every January, we promote what we call Homeowners Exemption Awareness Month. Um, not that the, I don't think anybody's celebrating with parades or parties or anything, but we just are trying to get the word out. We uh, we go to local cities and ask them to promote it on their at their city council meetings. We ask chambers of commerce to uh, promote it. Uh, through their uh, uh, communications. We work with realtors and encourage realtors to, uh, I mean, everybody gets postcards and emails from realtors. Uh, I always ask them to put information in their communications, uh, uh, letting people know that there's a way to save a little bit of money every year. Good stuff, good stuff. Okay, we're gonna take a break. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, and you are listening to Conversation Piece. We will be back with more from LA County Assessor, Jeff Prey. Taxes make up nearly 24% of LA County's general fund, nearly 5.3 billion in revenues. And property taxes are the single largest source of discretionary funds for the county. Welcome back to Conversation Piece on Radio Justice. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, with LA County Assessor Jeff Prang. Assessor Prang, who are you? How did you become the assessor? Tell us your story. Um, I ran and I got the most votes. So, um, <laughs> um, so um, thank you for the qu question. So um, I'm originally from, from Michigan. I grew up in the Detroit area, a city of Warren, Michigan. Um, been interested in government and politics and had a passion for making a difference my, my whole life. I, uh, moved to uh, California a couple of years after graduating from college at Michigan State University. 
And I've always been, my whole life, I've been interested in government and politics and, and policy. Uh, when I got to California, I got involved in campaigns. And uh, believe it or not, I began my uh, work in government in California as a staff assistant to the assessor in 1992, uh, a gentleman by the name of Kenny Hahn. Um, an interesting story, he was uh, um, no relationship to supervisor Kenneth Hahn, who served on the board of supervisors for 40 years, whose son was the mayor of LA, James Hahn, and whose daughter is a uh, county uh, supervisor. He uh, got elected because he had a, a name that sounded uh, pretty, pretty familiar. But I worked as a staff assistant for him, um, worked and then went on to have a long uh, career in government in a number of different uh, agencies over uh, uh, over the next uh, several decades. A couple of highlights: I uh, served for uh, eighteen, nearly eighteen years as the mayor and city council member in the city of West Hollywood. I've been a uh, a government administrator, serving as an assistant city manager. I've worked for a number of other government agencies, including the city of LA. I worked for a, a former council member, Ruth Galanter. I worked for John Chung when he was a member of the Board of Equalization. And I worked for the Sheriff's Department for about nine years. So I've had a, um, a lot of experience, both uh, on the public policy side, as well as an administrator. And uh, I was elected as assessor in, uh, in 2014. The, um, the way I got to be assessor was kind of uh, a somewhat circuitous uh, path. I was uh, hired by the, uh, the, the former assessor and I was uh, here for probably just a few weeks when I came in the office to a pretty startling surprise to see that the district attorney was uh, raiding the office, which led to uh, uh, Assessor eventually being arrested under uh, charged with uh, uh, with corruption, and it was a uh, I'll tell you that was a pretty uh, difficult time to uh, to be here. I'd just gotten here, and uh, I was serving on the West Hollywood City Council, which you know, city council members are not full time jobs. You always have to have a another job to pay the mortgage, and I was really alarmed to be so close to uh, a place where there was a scandal brewing and trying to determine whether or not uh, I was on the verge of having to uh, to resign just to make sure that I wasn't uh, in any way too close to that uh, to that scandal um, but that uh, that assessor went out on a lengthy leave of absence I remained in the department as part of the uh, of the cleanup team that was appointed to uh, turn the department around and um, when the job became available in uh, 2014, was up for re-election, and that uh, embattled uh, incumbent obviously was not going to run for re-election. I threw my uh, my hat in the ring. I had been part of the uh, the reform team. I had uh, uh, been part of the, uh, the management staff that was trying to help restore public integrity and best practices. And uh, it seemed like a natural step to continue that work as assessor, particularly since all the other candidates were uh, um, all, the, all disconnected from the, uh, um, from the work of the, uh, of the assessor and the reforms that we had been putting into place. 
that sounds a little hairy. <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't recommend that uh, that experience to, to anybody. But the good there was a there was a positive side um, after getting elected. So obviously, the employees in the department were shaken by this this allegation. You know, it was really unfair that a lot of people painted the department with a very broad stroke when only a couple of people were uh, uh, eventually uh, uh, charged with any uh, with any wrongdoing. Um, you know, public faith in the, in the department, which has uh, fiscal implications, uh, was important to restore. But every time there, anytime there's, a, you know, in, in, in management practices, uh, in theory, they say every time there is a crisis, there's also an opportunity. We had an opportunity to look inward, uh, to reexamine our policies and practices, uh, and had more latitude, frankly, to make uh, systemic and cultural changes uh, to, to an organization. Government tends to get, you know, get very entrenched and start doing things in a, in a pretty strict and inflexible way. But this crisis gave us an opportunity to look beyond the, uh, the way that we've, ways that we've always done things uh, and to make, uh, make improvements in terms of process and technology and the way that we serve the public. And I think that's really the story of what I've been doing since I been assessor, was elected assessor in, uh, in 2014. And let me tell you some of the things that we, that we have done. For, we're well beyond the crisis years, but beginning um, in those crisis years, one of the first things we did was we implemented sweeping reforms to ensure that the work that we did do uh, was fair, was accurate, was honest, and done to the highest levels of, of integrity. Um, Tax agents, who are people who represent taxpayers um, on appeals, were prohibited from donating campaign contributions to the assessor. Um, as a personal practice, uh, I don't know why, but my predecessor, some of my predecessors used to solicit campaign contributions from employees, which I don't do. Um, we changed the way um, uh, value adjustments to a property were approved. Now, um, now, any change either up or down uh, beyond a certain uh, increment has to be approved by a supervisor at the next, uh, with, with increasing levels of responsibility, depending on the, uh, um, the level of change in value. Uh, something else that led to the security, more security in the department was an investment in our technology system. And this is actually a little bit bigger than just security. So when I was elected, I inherited this ancient, 1970s, 1980s era, mainframe, green screen, DOS-based computer platform. It was, um, it, you know, people from private industry would see the sort of technology that we were using and they would laugh. They haven't seen this stuff since, uh, it reminded me of that, uh, uh, that movie War Games with Matthew Broderick from the early 80s. It was laughable. Um, and we knew that we need, uh, the other thing is that uh, the two and a half million property parcels that we're responsible for all of those were still associated with a paper file. So if you were to call our office, um, an employee may have to access one of a half a dozen different mainframe databases. They may need to refer you to the district office where your physical paper property uh, file was maintained, things that could take hours or even days to get, uh, to get answers. So we did a couple of things. We entered it, we, we began a program to, uh, to replace this uh, old mainframe system with a new cloud-based system. We digitized all of those files, hundreds of millions of documents. 
we are nearing the end phases of this uh, of this uh, conversion to a new uh, uh, technology platform, which the functionality is is so broad, it's uh, uh, and, and the benefits are uh, innumerable. One from a security perspective, now we can track anybody who's touching the value of property, um, and uh, there's all types of uh, security bells and whistles. So if any changes are made that are outside the normal protocols, other people are alerted. Um, no, no one person can change the value of property without other people being required to, uh, to sign off of that. It's all trackable. It would be very, very difficult to, uh, uh, to manipulate property values uh, for any reason without somebody else being, being alerted. But the other thing is uh, the, the, the new system is very robust in terms of the data that we can put on it. Uh, we were able to put data in plain English. Um, we have a single location, a single portal instead of multiple different uh, uh, interfaces. Uh, we have maps and, uh, and, and photography of all the properties that, uh, uh, that, we, uh, that, that we assess. Uh, we also took all of the public data that we had and we put that onto onto our website and the county's open data website. We put decades of historic um, assessment data on the, on the website. Some of this data we actually used to sell and we had, a, we had a revenue stream from it, but I came up, you know, I was concerned that this was public data and I thought public data should be easy to access, it should be easy to interpret and it should be free because it does belong to the public. So we now make that data available for free. Um, one of the things we noticed is that the number of calls and emails has somewhat plateaued because we believe that people are now able to get so much information um, on their own from what we put online that they don't need to call and, uh, and email, email us. Uh, so this is a significant uh, uh, development for us. Another thing about, um, I may deviate, I hope I'm not getting too down in the weeds, but the way that we're developing our technology system is relatively novel for government. In government, the way that government buys things and pays for things, uses a procurement methodology, which is essentially design, bid, build. You, the department designs what you need, you bid it out, you hire the low bidder, they build it, they then come back and turn it on to see if it works. Well, when it comes to technology, it doesn't work 100% of the time. And um, so we and we recognize that we looked at things like the LA Department of Water and Power when they did their uh, their billing system or LA Unified with their payroll system. And I told, I challenged my uh, my senior managers. I said, I don't want to be one of them. I don't want my name in the newspaper because we spent millions of dollars on a system that isn't working how we, we intended. So we came up with a new methodology for, um, at least for government, in building the system. Um, we call it an, an agile approach. So rather than bidding out the project to the, the, the vendor, the vendor um, actually has employees physically embedded in our organization. We took employees out of production to work with the vendor so that end users are working with them to make certain that what's being developed works the way that we use it. And we develop it in small, what we call sprints, like a two week sprint. We'll develop one level of functionality. Uh, we don't move on to the next step until that one checks out and works the way it's intended. And we're um, essentially we're building two parallel, building a parallel system to the existing one. And as new functionality is developed, we turn off the old functionality. Um, so at the end of this project, in about another 12 to 18 months, we're not going to turn the switch on to see if it works. It will have already been working. We're just going to 
flip the switch off on the old system because the new system will have uh, substantially replaced it um, going along the way. This has kept us on time and on budget. And I think it's a pretty novel approach that I'm hoping that other government agencies with big technology needs will uh, look at as a, as a template. And a template you guys have been building because you guys are an award-winning office. We recognized um, internationally. We have won many awards for our, uh, our technology improvements. The one that I'm most proud of though, is that we were awarded what is called the Certificate of Excellence in Assessment Administration. I know it's a bit of a mouthful, but this is the highest award that can be granted to a public assessment agency in the United States. It was granted to us by the International Association of Assessing Officers, which is our industry trade association, kind of like the League of Cities is to cities. And um, we are the only California county ever to receive this designation. And I believe that we are one of fewer than 50 out of about 18,000 jurisdictions to have gotten this, this award. So it's not just us saying that we think we're doing a good job. Our peers across the country um, uh, agreed. And this is not just, uh, um, just an opinion. They, they, they sent in experts to analyze all of our work functions, all of our processes, um, all of our internal policies and practices. It was a rigorous examination that led to this, uh, to this designation. Tell us about the jobs and workforce development that you've been involved in. So there's a number of things that we've done uh, since I've been assessor to try to bring added value in terms of how this the efficiency and operations of this department, but also to bring value to the public which, who depends on us. One of the most recent uh, initiatives that I'm really, really proud of is a workforce development program um, that's providing a, a pipeline of jobs from the community into this, into this office. So I have a couple of positions in my uh, department that require specialized training. Uh, appraisers, both real property appraisers and personal property appraisers have to go through a fairly rigorous year-long uh, training to learn how to value property. We have another classification called appraiser assistants and another one called ownership technicians, people who read deeds to determine whether the property needs to be reassessed. And they're all require about a year's length of uh, classroom and, and field training in order to be to be certified. But if we could just talk about the appraisers for a second. So every year I lose between 25 and 35 appraisers due to attrition, retirements, people moving on, taking other jobs. So uh, just to keep even, I need to hire 25 to 30 appraisers. And um, sometimes I'm able to do that and sometimes I'm not. Um, there are, uh, you know, during the first year of COVID, there was a hiring freeze. Um, if I can't hire those people, then the number of uh, vacancies I have begins to compound annually. So uh, there are actually three years I wasn't able to hire a class of appraisers, and I was down between 50 and 100. Uh, what I can tell you, if I don't have enough appraisers to do the job, we don't assess all the property and local government schools um, and county government budgets will, will suffer. So I wanted to come up with a strategy that would um, allow us to develop a pipeline of trained and qualified people to fill these, these vacancies. So currently we did, we, previously we did all this training in-house. 
it, you know, I would take people out of production in order to provide the training. We have, have uh, field trainers to mentor these folks along when they're getting started. And so our, our ability to get our primary job done was challenged. But I uh, entered into an agreement with some of the local community colleges to move that training into the community colleges where they're providing a lot of the theoretical um, training behind uh, real estate appraisal. And um, we're able to reduce a lot of the, the, the time that it took to train them in-house, move to community colleges. The community colleges could train a lot more people than we need for our vacancies. So we have a much larger pool. Um, the benefit for the community is that you know, jobs in LA County government are really good jobs. They pay well, have good benefits, have great retirement. And, um, and as you know, community colleges, particularly ones we're working with, um, benefit communities, which can really benefit by having access to these, these types of jobs. A lot of Latino and African-American neighborhoods where, um, where a, a government job may be a big step up in terms of the family's, family security. So it's, uh, it's gonna benefit both the community as well as my department. My goal is to make sure that I fill all of my vacancies um, um, annually to ensure that we uh, can get our uh, annual production work completed. Excellent, excellent. I know we are running out of time. I know you have, you have another meeting that, that you need to, to get to, but before you go, tell us about your campaign for reelection. Oh. Well, thank you for asking that question. I am uh, running for re-election on June the 7th. I am one of, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the, the assessor is one of three countywide elected officials. The other two are much better known than me. Everybody knows the sheriff and the district attorney. I'm like the, uh, the, the forgotten third, uh, third county official, but I'm running for my, uh, uh, my third term. I encourage uh, everybody, if you want to learn more about me and my campaign, to check out my website at jeffreyprang.com. I'm, uh, I'm working hard to, I've been working hard to let people know what the assessor is, what we can do to help you save money on our property taxes, to help demystify a very complex property assessment uh, um, uh, system, and hoping that I can continue to work on behalf of the people of LA County for another four years. Excellent. Excellent, excellent. I, I know we're out of time because I really wanted to also, because when you said de demystify the whole system, I want to make sure people know that you have developed a one-stop public service counter for so that we're not being pushed around to different departments. Well, yeah, that, well, I, I guess I should emphasize that before I go. So one of the things I learned when I first got here is that probably more than 50% of the calls I receive from the public are actually not calls for my office, they're for the tax collector's office. But because people think that's what I do, they would call our office. And what I didn't want to happen, I don't want ever want my employees to say, that's not our department, call somebody else. Um, the public, we, we should not expect members of the public to have to diagram um, government operations to figure out who they need to call. We should make it simple and handhold them through the system. So I got together with the two other departments, which generate a lot of public service calls, that's the auditor controller and the treasurer tax collector. And we opened up a one-stop public counter in the Hall of Administration. So and if you have an issue with your tax bill and you go to the counter that says assessor and say, I've got a problem with my tax bill, my employee can say, yep, that's not my job. However, it is the job of the guy standing right next to me. So you just have to move over three feet and we're gonna take care of all of your problems right here in one spot. You don't have to worry about who's in charge. Um, 
and uh, you know, which floor to go to and who to call. It's all right here in one place and we'll uh, demystify it for you and get you uh, on your way. Excellent, cutting out that red tape. Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful, Wonderful. Assessor Prang, thank you so much for giving me time today to demystify your office, to let us know about your reelection and for us to know how to connect with the county assessor's office. I appreciate you very much for giving us this time and hope I can have an opportunity to come back and talk a little bit more about what we do. If you would like to receive monthly updates from the assessor's office, including tax saving tips, important deadlines, market trends, and more, sign up for the general newsletter at assessor.lacounty.gov and look for news and information. You can also sign up for the Real Estate Pro newsletter for quarterly updates on the latest trends and topics in the real estate market, along with tips for real estate professionals. Remember to learn your ballot, ask questions, vote, and hold our elected officials accountable and responsible, and thank them when they do good work. Thank you to my Conversation Peace guest, Los Angeles County Assessor Jeff Prang, and thanks to Associate Programmer Medea Brown of the Pan-African Film and Arts Festival. Thank you to Leslie Radford, Adam Rice, Nicole Johnson, Michael Washington of M Watch Soul for the opening and closing theme song, and always you, our RJLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love, give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on radiojustice.org. And a special thanks to Felicia Swope, Ingrid Day, and Donald Herman. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this special experience of Conversation Peace on Radio Justice with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.